Great to see you all here today. Uh, you know, interesting, the, the testimony that Nicole shared and just about, you know, being stuck, feeling stuck in a place and even in, stuck in a place of sin and just knowing that the only way out is to repent and turn to the Lord. That is really the heart of what John chapter 4 is about. And if you know John chapter 4, you know it's about the Samaritan woman at the well. So we're going to dig deep into this history and we're even going to watch a chosen clip at the end of the woman at the well. And this is just, it's a super powerful chapter in the Bible. In addition, it's a super powerful scene in the chosen series as well. But I've called today's sermon, The Greatest Pursuit, Where Are You Drawing From? Where are you drawing from? And you'll see why I called it that as we continue on here. How many of you over the years, though, have, been, have put your hope into something or somebody or some pursuit and found out that at the end of that, it was empty? There was no life. Yeah, we got some hands up. Come on. I think all of us, if we're honest, have been down some roads where we're like, man, that did not fulfill me the way I thought it would. And, and ultimately, that's what we see with this woman at the well. And we're going to get there. And so I would say that this is just a very, very relatable history in the Bible. Because we have, we've all been down some pursuits that were like, you know what? I think God had better for me. Um, but sometimes we don't know that until we do know God. And that was the case of this one. So in John chapter 4, verse 1, we're just going to read through it together. I'll have a few comments here. Verse 1 says, Jesus knew the Pharisees, has heard that he would ba- was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. All right, simple enough, but there's a lot of things going on socially. Um, Even even there was divide of uh, genders at that time, male and female. Like, there was a lot of things going on. And Jesus was crossing some boundaries here as he talked with the Samaritan woman. So it says, verse 8, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So here is the backstory. The Jewish people of Galilee and Judea shunned Samaritans, viewing them as a mixed race who practiced an impure half-pagan religion. Okay, and this is why. In 721 BC, if you remember, I talked a few weeks ago that the kingdom of Israel, after King Solomon, when it was at its greatest height, his son Rehoboam was not a man who followed God. He asked for advice from his young advisors. The advisors were like, you should tax the people of Israel double what your father did. And there was a great revolt, and the kingdom divided into two portions. And so um, you had Judah on the bottom, and, and the tribes at the top still called themselves Israel. But what happened is the people of Israel set up a new place to worship, a new place for the people to come, because they knew if, the, if their people went down into Judah and to Jerusalem to worship God, that they would lose control over them. So they set up this northern kingdom, and ultimately, they, that kingdom fell 
uh, into captivity faster than the southern kingdom because they, they turned to other gods faster than Judah did. Ultimately, both kingdoms were taken into captivity for a season. And at this point, a remnant had returned and were worshiping the true God. But in, in Samaria, those people that the Assyrians took into captivity, what they would do to oppress the people they conquered is they would interbreed with them. And so the children would be part Assyrian, part Israelite. So not only are they a mixed breed, so to speak, but they also have mixed worship. They are confused about worshiping the true God. And so you see how the the Jewish people would, they despised Samaritans. They're like, look, you're not the pure race. You're You're not the pure people of God. You don't even know the right place to worship. Interestingly enough, the people of Samaria thought the same thing about the Israelites. Well, we have the true place to worship God. You know, it's funny, isn't it, how when there's divisions like that, people are really viewing things a lot the same way and just off a little bit. Isn't it interesting how that works out in life sometimes? And so they're both arguing. They would say, no, 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 we're worshiping the right way and the right place. Not only that, but, but she was a woman. And for a male a Jewish man to uh, talk, especially to a Samaritan woman, just would have, it would have been out of place. It would have been really awkward for this conversation to happen. So it says, she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And I want to just read this little commentary because I'm like, this nails it on the head. Jesus isn't concerned about hanging in the quote, in crowd. In John 4, Jesus initiates a conversation with a highly unlikely woman, a Samaritan woman who had five husbands, and Jesus knew it. Her gender made her culturally inferior. Her race labeled her as one to be avoided. Her lifestyle choices marked her as one to be condemned. But Jesus ignored all the social barriers meant to separate because his concern isn't for appearances. His concern is for people. I love that. I love that about Jesus. He was concerned always and all he did. He was more concerned about people coming into a relationship with God than he was about appearances. His concern was for people, all people, hurting people, searching people, people making bad choices, empty people. And as we started out, that's been all of us at some point in our life. So Jesus, again, She said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So she was thrown off by this conversation. In verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Well, that's an interesting way to take the conversation. First, Jesus is asking for a drink and now he's saying, no, no, no. Actually, I've got something far better than this water in front of us. I have living water, and I want to give it to you. She said, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Okay, so she 
is still focused on the physical, isn't she? She wants, you know, magic water that never runs out and you never get thirsty, parched again. And so Jesus goes deep. He goes spiritual with her. How many of us have sought the Lord for a physical issue and God says, no, wait, I've got something spiritual I want to do in you through this process. Mm Mm-hmm. I wish sometimes God would just answer the prayer the way I want it answered. And in my time. But you know what? So often, he says, just wait, son. Just wait, daughter. I've got something even better. Not only am I going to help you physically, but I'm going to heal something in you spiritually first. And, and I think that's how God works a lot of the time. So in verse 16, he goes spiritual on her. He says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. That got awkward quick. (laughs) Can you imagine someone just calling out how you've been living life and some of the sin? And yet she... She handled it well. She said, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Let's go ahead to that map there. So you can kind of see um, right in the middle where that arrow's pointing is Mount Gerizim and then below is Jerusalem. So that would be the northern kingdom with Samaria and, and the southern kingdom with Jerusalem. And so she's saying, no, our place is the place to worship. And Jesus says, no, it's not. So in verse 21, he says, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Okay, so we talked a while ago about how God's call for the Jewish people, for that family, is, is a covenant. And, and they did have a truer knowledge of who God was um, specifically compared to the Samaritans who had also learned how to worship um, the false gods of the Assyrians. But he's saying, you know what? Ultimately, where you worship, it's not even going to matter. And family, we get to live in that reality today, you know? Uh, I'm so glad that we have church and that we gather together as people. But you know what? We could do it outside, right? We could do it in front of a Daggett truck like we did during COVID. Wasn't that fun? No. <laughs> but it was different, and God met us, right? So it was kind of fun. So, yeah, it was kind of fun. All right. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit? Well, we have a spiritual side of us, don't we? And that spiritual side of us is the part that connects with God, the closest, the Holy Spirit connects with our spirit and speaks in a way that sometimes we can understand with our mind. It might be a God thought that comes through. It might be a God feeling. Sometimes you just sense and feel the presence of God. And, and that, is, that is spiritual worship. That's connecting with God through our spirit man. But in addition, we worship God in truth. And so when the lyrics are up on the screen and we're singing, 
we are proclaiming the truth about God and who he is and what he means to us. So it's important to have both. It's important that we worship God from our heart, in our spirit, through the Holy Spirit. It's also important that we worship with our lips because God is worthy of our praise. Verse 25 says, The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Can you just imagine her mouth just like, what? Like, are you kidding me? You're the Messiah? Because she knew, I mean, obviously they had enough of God's word that they were expecting a Messiah to come. And he was here. You know, Jesus uses a bunch of I am statements in the book of John, identifying himself with his father. I think, I think my favorite is the Pharisees at one point. We're, we're, we're talking about being sons of Abraham. And, and Jesus said this, this is just a little aside in John 8. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. They said, you are not yet 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, they obviously knew that God identified himself as the great I am. When Moses encountered God on the mountain, he revealed himself as I am the I am. I am that I am. First, last, beginning and end, Alpha and Omega. He always was, always has been, always will be. And Jesus is identifying, saying, I am God himself. Verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her? Why are you talking with her? The disciples must have gotten a little smarter by this point in the journey. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from village to see him, from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about ministry. He was talking about serving and loving people and drawing them into a relationship with God. There's a fulfillment and a joy that comes from selfless service given in Jesus' name. A little pet peeve. It's not a big one. I get a little frustrated sometimes when people say, I can't wait for revival. If only revival would come, then the church would come alive and people would be flocking into the doors and... Everyone to be saved. Now, there are greater moments when God pours up by his spirit. Um, a lot of my parents' generation got saved during a revival. Like the Holy Spirit came in power and there was people meeting in all sorts of different churches and the Holy Spirit was being poured out and people were coming to Jesus in droves. 
And so should we desire a revival? Yes, I would say we, we desire revival. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I just want to say the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ has never diminished. The power of the gospel is always. Neil Silverberg says, revival sometimes, the gospel always. In Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So family, yes, it, it would be awesome if God poured out a revival here and now. I would take it, right? Um, what Neil goes on to say is, what happens when revival comes is what we are doing in sharing the gospel and spreading the kingdom of God just becomes amplified. So he says, the church that is most ready to inherit or be a part of revival are the ones that are doing the stuff through the power of the gospel each and every day, each and every week. And you know what, Harvest? That's us. <laughs> Come on, that's us. We currently have 155 students attending here every week in addition to you all. Yeah, hundred that are coming to know Jesus each and every time we meet. That's between our release time and our youth group programs. So I just want to say, I want to echo what Jesus says. Look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Let's be his people. Let's live as if there's revival going on. Come on, you know, we're called Harvest Church, but there's no harvest without harvesters, right? Now, I'm also happy to say that I, I believe we have a large percentage of our people that are actively using their gifts and saying, God, use me to spread your good news each and every day, each and every week, and are actively involved in ministry in one way or another. And so... I'm very blessed by that. Um, you see in the culture around us, volunteerism, you know, since COVID especially, is just like shot down. But I would say in the church of Jesus Christ and here, I have seen people plug in and use their gifts a ton. And, and I'm so blessed. But I, I want to say the last time I checked, we had 103 active people signed up to be volunteers. That's amazing, you guys. Amazing. So let's keep it up. Let's keep at it. And let's, and shoot, if revival comes, let's be the church ready for it because we're doing, we're sharing the gospel. We're sharing Jesus. We're loving people. We're discipling people. We're growing as individuals in Christ. And when and if revival comes, we'll be ready for it. Verse 39, back to the woman at the well. Said many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Two days with Jesus. How awesome would that be, right? Two days with the king. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. What a conclusion. What an awesome thing that... Not only did this woman who had been really uh, digging into some dead ends, some empty wells, 
She found the source of living water. You know, it goes the same with us. Are we digging in the right wells with our life? Jeremiah 2.11 says, Has any nation ever traded its God for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. This was, this was Jeremiah talking to the people of Israel, the very people who were going to go into exile as a result of turning to other gods. And yet, even as followers of Jesus, there are times when we get so absorbed into things that really aren't bringing us much life. And so today is just, sometimes there's sin, you know, as Nicola talked about at the beginning, maybe, maybe you're in a spot where you're just like, man, I need out. I know what I'm doing is wrong, is, is just leading me astray. God, help me out of this. And, and so those, you know, obviously some of those things are false wells. And I would call those like the normal kinds of false wells, fleshly pursuits, Greed, pleasure, sex, popularity, all the things that the world offers us that when we indulge in them, um, we know it's sin and we know that sin puts that block between our relationship with God. And even though God is waiting at the door, sometimes we have to just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm turning back to you, turning back to our right relationship with you so that we can have that relationship renewed. First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. I look at it this way. There's only so much we can love, right? And if we have all of our love for things of this world, it says the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Okay, so, so sinful things, things of our flesh that would lead us astray are empty wells, broken cisterns. Sometimes it's the good things in our life that we put too much emphasis on. One of those being relationships. Relationships. Now, good, healthy, God-honoring relationships are nothing but a gift from God. And, and we need to embrace them and seek them. But often, I see people who are pursuing a relationship as if that's the most important thing in their life. And it's like, now, relationships, are they're up there. They're up there. But sometimes we put people on a pedestal and we put an expectation on them. And when they fail to meet your expectation, you're really let down and hurt. And, and it's like your world is broken. And so that's, it's just an encouragement that we would examine our relationships and say, God, is there any relationship I'm holding on to more than you? Is there any relationship that I'm seeking after more than you? And to assess that and say, Lord, help me. Help me to put you first. Help me to put that relationship second so that I can walk in your will and follow you. Um, there's a lot of other good things in life that they're blessings from God. It's just if we get them out of place, um, they become a God and, and an idol that gets in, our, in the way of God. Another broken cistern, hear me out here. I'm going to use the term religion. Religion. Um, and, and, and this is how sometimes we try to 
put God in a box or put our relationship with God in a box. And if we don't do A, B, and C each and every day, if we don't check the boxes that we believe God is upset with us and that we can't have that relationship with him. I just want to encourage you, God does not care how many boxes you check per day. Boy, he didn't read the Bible. Man, I don't like him anymore. Boy, he didn't take time to pray. Oh my goodness. That kid, that person's lost. You know what? God wants your heart. Now reading the Bible, prayer, all those things, uh, they lead you towards God. They are good things to do. But you know what? You shouldn't walk around in guilt and shame if for some reason you didn't fit the box perfectly today. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Um, Sometimes religion can be uh, focusing too much on like a moment with God. Like when we used to go to acquire the fire, it was a great youth conference that we got to go to as youth. And let me tell you, we had high spiritual highs when we were at acquire the fire and it was amazing. But then you'd come back and you'd compare the whole rest of your year to acquire the fire. And you would think, ah, God has left me. He's left the room. And you know what? It's just nonsense because God is with you all the time. And his relationship with you is meant to be fresh each and every day. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have communion with the living God each and every day. So, Again, revival or spiritual highs, they're great. And, and yes, we desire those. But don't forget that. Just because you, you, you don't sense it or you don't feel it all the time doesn't mean God has left you or left the building. Can I hear an amen? There are, there are days where it's like, man, I feel like I'm going through the motions. But I know that God's word will never fail. And I know that what he has called me to do in the moment is to be faithful, even when I don't feel it. And it's days like that that you get through, that you get to the, the backside of that and you feel the blessing of the obedience and you see the fruit of the obedience and you say, what would have I had done if I would have given up when I didn't, quote, feel God? We need to have some deeper roots than that, family, some thicker skin and just say, you know what? God is with me, even without the feels. And it makes it that much more special when you do get those special moments with God. Now, I, I believe you can connect with God each and every day. And that's going to feel deeper at some moments than others. And it's important to have those moments where it's just like, man, I sense the love of God for me like nothing else. But there are going to be dry days and God has not left you. All right. I'm going to move on. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Family, don't let fear, guilt, or shame keep you out of the presence of God. Don't let fear, guilt, or shame keep you out of the presence of God. That's what that woman felt at the well. That's what, when we screw up and we know it, that's what we feel. And you know what? The enemy of our soul would like nothing more than to take you hostage and call you shameful and call you unworthy and not good enough. 
He would like nothing more than to sink his claws into your life in that way because you know what? You'll live up to that feeling. Oh, I am nothing. Oh, I am broken. Oh, I am this. And if he can get you to change your identity in your mind to live to less than what you know is God, he's got you hooked. The enemy, he points out your flaws and kicks you when you're down. God, yes, he might put his finger on a flaw, but you know what? He's going to say, I forgive you, and now I'm going to help you up. Do you see the difference? And the trap is to listen to the enemy and say, I'm worthless, I'm nothing. I don't have anything to offer this world. How can I walk with God again? And you see so many people fall out of fellowship, fall out of church, fall out of Christianity because the enemy got his hook in their life because maybe they messed up, but they never found, they never heard the Holy Spirit of God saying, I forgive you. Now forgive yourself. Amen. I think we're just going to let that sink in. I was going to show the chosen clip, but we're getting low on time. I just want to pray, okay? Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are the giver of every good thing. God, the joy that we experience even being outdoors and just enjoying the life that you've given us here, Father, it's a gift from you. It's a gift from God. Father, I pray, Lord, that our hearts that our spiritual compass would point to you, Lord. Just as a normal compass points to true north. Father, I pray that within our spirit, man, we would be in tune with you, God. Father, where there have been lies of shame and guilt and fear that have kept people out of your presence, that have kept people out of your family, out of your church. God, I pray that those lies would be broken in the name of Jesus. Even this morning, Lord, I pray for anyone here, even as Nicole prayed, that feels stuck. Lord, I pray that you would help them move out of that in Jesus' name. Father, if they are caught in sin, Father, they would just say, no more. I'm done. I'm moving on. And God, I thank you that you are not a God who kicks us when we're down or rubs in shame and guilt. You're a God that welcomes us home all the time. You welcome us home. So Father, we turn our hearts towards you and we say, Lord, we embrace you this morning. God, I pray that you'd help us to come boldly before your throne of grace or to receive mercy in our time of need. Father, I thank you for the history of the woman at the well, Lord, who you did not condemn, even though you clearly knew her sin. But Lord, you, you went and spent time with her. You loved her. You gave her living water. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that we would just experience more of your Holy Spirit, God. Father, we would experience your forgiveness. We would experience your love. We would experience your mercy. God, I thank you that you have not left us, Lord, and you you won't, you won't leave your people. So God, we come to you. We turn to you. Lord, we ask for forgiveness where we need to ask forgiveness. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that we would be able to enter boldly into your courts each and every day, God, even in simple ways, Lord.
or that it wouldn't become religious to us or, or simple duty, but there would be life in our relationship with you, Lord. Just thank you for that, God. I pray that you bless your people this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your love. Fill them with your power, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.